Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Catherine Clarenbach as our guest. How are you, Catherine? I'm very well. It's been a great day so far. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Good. Um, so, um, I understand that you have quite an eclectic religious background. I do. Um, so, I how do. did that begin? Well, I was a very devout and active young Roman Catholic girl. I was a musician, and I did everything musical that um, was involved with my parish. I played handbells, I played the harpsichord, I sang in choirs, I directed choirs, I did all kinds of stuff. And then I came out as bisexual when I was 17. And that, my, though my family was very supportive, my religious community that had been my home, really, my safe place, evaporated overnight, pretty much. That had to be, like, devastating. It was. It was absolutely devastating. And um, so I spent a few years kind of wandering in the wilderness, exploring various things in college, as many young people do. And by the time I was 23, I was a confirmed goddess, curious, uh, sort of vaguely pagan uh, person. But when I was 23, I went to a place called Four Quarters, interfaith sanctuary mm -hmm. and in and so that's 1996 just for a reference for folks um and i got to see people outside standing in a partially completed stone circle they raise stones every year uh -huh. um that are like eight feet high and are multi-ton stones it's very cool um, and hundreds of people standing in a circle making ceremonies together for different holidays and, you know, bonfires, everything you can imagine, bonfires and fire eaters and drummers and dancers. And I was captivated. I was just absolutely captivated. And so I became really involved there. And in 1999, the tradition of Stone Circle Wicca began there. And I was one of the founding members of that tradition. And that remains one of the two um, religious traditions in which I have a foot, as okay. it were. Is that um, like a gardener tradition? It was not a gardenerian tradition, though our founding teacher was originally trained gardenerian. Um, but we have, you know, Wicca is like a tree now with many, 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 many roots <laughs> and, um, or branches or however you want to put that. <laughs> and 
they all emerged out of Gardner, um, really, who had some ideas from Aleister Crowley and various places and stuff from the Renaissance and all kinds of things. Yeah, he got a lot of stuff from the Golden Dawn, I think. Yeah, the Golden Dawn, exactly. In the mid, we're talking about the mid 20th century at this point. So, um, and then several years later in 2008, after having been um, welcomed into various communities as a guest or a, a tourist, depending on the community, I had been involved with folks who were Quaker, um, members of the Society of Friends, people who practice African diaspora religions like Santeria and Condoble. Um, and you know, this, that, and the other thing, sort of taking a taste of this and a taste of that. Although my home, my one foot was definitely planted in Stone Circle Wicca and it still is. And, um, and it took me from 1999 to 2006 to get what's called my third degree. Um, Wicca has degrees and mm -hmm. there's three of them. So, that happened for me in 2006. However, in 2008, I was really confronted by the fact that I experienced the governance of Four Quarters as very problematic. And as sometimes happens, the founder was really a bully. He was a visionary in many ways but he was a bully and um, I couldn't countenance anymore staying there, um, which was another blow, right? It was another right. having to leave a religious community. Um, but I found after that, I found Unitarian Universalism, which I had kind of belonged to in the mid nineties earlier, like 1993, 94, um, I had sort of visited, but I went to All Souls Unitarian in Washington, D.C., and they had, like, fabulous choir and a great preacher, and it was very, it felt very Protestant to me, mm -hmm. having been brought up Roman Catholic. You know, like, the pulpit was this giant big thing in the middle and stuff, but the preaching was great. The whole experience was wonderful. I cried. Um, and... Uh, sometime after that, I said to my wife about the ministers there, God, I wish I could have their job. And she was like, you can. You just have to go to more school. <laughs> and um, so I got my Master's of Divinity and went through this whole process. And in 2015, was ordained as a Unitarian Universalist minister. And now I have what is called an entrepreneurial ministry. I don't work in a congregation, but I have my own uh, practice, which is largely online. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we can talk more about that later. But that's like the long story. You got more of the story than most of the people I've been talking <laughs> to lately um, about my checkered religious history interesting so let's go back to 
the beginning. You know, this is one of the things actually that has always bothered me personally about Christianity mm-hmm. and even Judaism and Islam is the lack of acceptance of people that are gay. And, mm-hmm. and from my understanding, there's very little, if anything, in the New Testament about it. And that they're really pulling from Leviticus, which is like rabbit, you know, for like rabbis and stuff. Am I? Well, hmm. there is, I went like this, right? With those of you who are only listening, you can't see. I made a zero (laughs) with my hand. Um, The zero is for what Jesus had to say about homosexuality. Nothing. It never came up ever. He was very clear about divorce however, which is that he didn't think it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet many Christians are divorcees. Um, interesting fact. Um, later in Paul, you see him talking about situations that just aren't analogous. If you look at the actual Greek, um, he just wasn't talking about what we think of as contemporary homosexuality. He was talking about situations like rape, um, sex work, and, you know, just not... uh, And and I want to be clear, I have nothing against uh, consensual sex workers. Like, nothing at all. Um... But Paul did, <laughs> apparently. But, but did, Leviticus, was it, was it Leviticus Mary, was it is Mary like, Magdalene a prostitute? Jesus. Uh, no, actually, Mary Magdalene was the one um, that Jesus cast seven devils out of. Oh. There is another figure in um, in the Bible who is considered to be a quote unquote prostitute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about Leviticus, right. Leviticus is a, has a bunch of rules, right? And some of them are, for example, that you can't wear fabric that has mixed um, kinds of fabric in it. So cotton and linen together, it's a no-go. Same thing, homosexuality, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? So um, it's complicated, like people cherry pick from the Bible and anyone who tells you differently is selling you something. You have to, to make any sense of this library of books. The, the Bible is not a book. It's a library. And it's a library of people trying to make sense of their lives and communities trying to make sense of their lives. It's not, and, and I think to read it um, as a coherent single text, you have to do some serious theological and mental gymnastics. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it's kind of like, well, in Buddhism, they have sutras. It is like trying mm-hmm. to glue all those different sutras written by hundreds of different people into one coherent piece of literature. It's not going to work. Right. It's not going to make any sense. Right, that's there's a very good be contradictions, good and there's going to be different points of views. And 
It's not necessarily right, like pure land Buddhism. It's going to look really different in its reading of various sutras yeah. than like Tibetan Buddhism is going to look at mm-hmm. different, different readings. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> even after that experience though, you stayed interested in religion and spirituality. Oh yeah. And, and, I, and that's I kind of amazing. Like, I think I think a lot of people would just say, "Screw the spiritual stuff," <laughs> and, well, I did. and just become like an atheist or an agnostic. I did briefly. I was furious, right? I was furious, and I I was like, "Well, they made all the." Can I swear? By the way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, just checking. Some people are sensitive. <laughs> um, I was like, "They made all this shit up. They made it up. The whole thing. It's made up." Now and that. I was in my late teens and early 20s, right? So that was really meaningful to me, the idea that it, quote, unquote, wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And in my sense now, of course they made it up. Like, we're all making our meaning all the time. We're all trying to find our way all the time. And communities, just because a religion is old, doesn't make it better than a religion that's newer. Right. You know, because we're all trying to find our way. Do you think that any one religion has, like, is right and others are wrong? Or do you believe that they all have some, like, they can all exist coherently together? That's a really good question. It's one that a lot of people ask me because I do obviously have such a broad range of not just experience, but like affection for different traditions. I think mostly different traditions have useful concepts in them for life. Mostly. There are some traditions that I find so patriarchal and dominating that I can't see past it. I can't think that it's a good idea. Um, And, you know, that's, I can't see the good in them. Uh, And maybe that's a, a, a failure of compassion in me or maybe it's a well-discerned decision right i imagine it depends on your point of view right yeah i i I see that often you know where i live where the very patriarch i can't say the word (laughs) patriarchal (laughs) yeah and um and you know it's hard sometimes for me not to judge you know people because they're because they're judgmental you know, and I'm like, but then I catch myself. I said, well, I guess I am no better than they are if I'm judging them. It's hard. It's hard. You know, Karen Armstrong, who's written a bunch of books on religion. She has one on Islam. She has one called The Battle for God. That's about the Abrahamic religions and fundamentalism. Fascinating book, by the way. Um, she says that if your religion leads you to be a more compassionate person, she is, has no problem with it. 
Like that for her is sort of the litmus test. And that's kind of how I feel. Mm-hmm. If your religion makes you more attentive to other beings, more compassionate, um, and allows you to live with greater integrity, then there's probably some good in it mm-hmm. um, and probably something true in it. Uh, otherwise, I don't want to have anything to do with it. How about life after death? I mean, different religions have different views on what happens after death. Like some believe in reincarnation, some below believe in heaven and hell, and some don't even address it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, right, in, like, the, in Buddhism, the, I, right, the Buddha never... He never addressed it, really. Yeah. I mean, the reincarnation was sort of inherited through Hinduism, Hinduism. into Buddhism, but he never actually addressed it himself. Yeah. Like, do you think there's room for all these possibilities to be true, or do you think there's just one single possibility? Hmm. That's an or maybe question. we get to choose. Oh, well, that's an even more fun idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I would like to go to the Elysian Fields, please. Um, I um, What do I think about life after death? Well, the main thing... I will tell you right now, I have two contradictory feelings about life after death. They are not compatible, necessarily. And they're, I hold them both anyway. <laughs> In this tension of like, hmm, because the answer, the real answer, of course, is I don't know. I've never had a near-death experience myself, so I don't have even that much data to mm-hmm. use, Right. So on one hand, um, one of my dear colleagues and friends in Stone Circle Wicca says, one of the greatest things about each of us is that we are totally unique in all of history and time, each one of us, right? That's important, but it's not the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us is that we are part of the big picture. That we're part of this sacred connected web of existence, which also is affirmed in Unitarian Universalism. The interdependent web of existence, that is. And so, and this was very comforting to me actually when my father died, because I thought, oh, we're gonna spread his ashes And matter and energy can't be destroyed or created by human beings, certainly not, um, or by other processes according to the law of thermodynamics. Do you remember which law that is? Is that the first law of thermodynamics? I never remember. (laughs) I never remember. But that neither matter nor energy can be destroyed, um, created or destroyed. Um, That, like, his ashes are in the guts of crabs on their way to the Chesapeake Bay. Um, And, you know, part of the ecosystem of central Pennsylvania where we we scattered his ashes. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a way in which your body is just as eternal as this idea of the soul, right? Because you go on and you get recycled right. into great new stuff. Right. Just like, it's like in a Tibetan tradition where they just sort of cut you up and throw you into a, 
a pile when the birds come down and just eat you. Right, right. Air burial. They fl- fly off with I would love that. pieces of you. <laughs> I mean, it's gruesome, right? But It sounds but, gruesome, but when you look at yeah, it from their what view, you do? <laughs> natural. Um, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Um, I've thought about that a lot, actually, that kind of burial. Burials in quotation marks. Um, so on one hand, I have that. On the other hand, I have had a, vi- a personal experience, two of them, that were very compelling arguments for some kind of remaining consciousness being left behind. Um, I had an experience with my grandmother on my father's side and with her mother, my great-grandmother, who is um, kind of like, and (laughs) I don't mean virtuous when I say this, but for me, she's kind of like a saint. Like, I kind of pray to my great-grandmother when I need to get out of a difficult situation. (laughs) So I have had personal experiences with ancestors that are really compelling, but that's that's just my personal experience. Like, I can't say that that's the medicine for everyone. Everyone needs different medicine when they're sick, right? One person has one illness, somebody else has another illness. You don't give them the same thing. Um, I have had an experience in a Santorian Misa, is what it's called after the word mass, which is a ceremony designed to bring the spirits of your ancestors to the place mm-hmm. where you are and to borrow or um, somehow speak through the people who are there. And my grandmother had recently died and I had an experience of my grandmother being present with me. And so she, I mean, is consciousness recycled too? Or does something remain? And I don't know the answer to that, but I know that I had very compelling experiences. When you were doing the Santeria ritual, did you guys conjure Papa Legba? Uh, you, well, this was for ancestors. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to invoke Elegua or Legba first thing when you're dealing with your ancestors. If you're doing any ritual with the Orishas, you have to ask Papa Legua to open the door. He always comes first mm-hmm. and then Ogun after him. Pretty cool. Um, giving me tests. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> so, Tori, one of the myths, and I ask anybody, don't take it first. All my cold guests, I've asked them this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny one. Have you ever had to sacrifice a virgin? A virgin human being? Right. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How about orgies? <laughs> How about them? Um, I will say that they have no official standing 
in either of the religions I practice. Okay. <laughs> I still have not gotten a yes to that answer. That good question. Well, it's interesting because in Stone Circle Wicca, we have mm. the idea of different kinds of liberatory sexuality. And one of those kinds of liberatory sexuality is called hetery, um, which comes from the Greek word hetera who's sort of like a, oh, I don't want to say like a geisha, but uh, someone trained in the arts of pleasure, all of them, right? And um, so hetery is a kind of liberatory sexuality where you're likely having multiple sexual partners, maybe having relationships, maybe not, um, but that it is ethical and pleasurable for all parties, in, you know, involved. Mm -hmm. So we do have like language for people who might be involved in an orgy in my tradition, but it's not like required <laughs> for anything. <laughs> I even I even had a, a, a Satanist on my show. And I asked him that question. He's like, no, nah, man. <laughs> no, nah, man, no. <laughs> and I'm like, one day. What, gonna, why? <laughs> I know. Like, isn't that, you know, I thought that was like the point of being a Satanist was to be able to take drugs and have orgies. Oh, well, I'm sure he disabused you of that. No, he, he yeah, he, he was almost a little bit offended by my question. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so... <clears throat> What kind of, what's this online ministry like that you're running? Oh, Let's um, do a, promote yourself a little bit. Yeah, I'm happy to. <laughs> I do, pardon me, I do a couple different kinds of ministry or a, a few. My the sort of backbone of my ministry is what I call spiritual accompaniment, mm -hmm. which is one-on-one -on -one meetings that I have with people, usually once a month, one-on-one um, -on -one meetings to just talk through, like, where are they in their spiritual lives? What is their, what do their spiritual practices look like? Um, what are they looking for spiritually? What are they longing for? And um, those are, like I said, they're one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And I also run small groups that are quite similar that have similar goals. Um, and then I teach classes and I have one coming up um, uh, depending, you know, what season it is by the time we're talking together. Um, <laughs> I have one that happens once or twice a year called making hard choices, the art of discernment. I hate making about, hard choices. I'm sorry. I hate making hard choices. Well, so you should take my class. Well, <laughs> I, I, I've come to the decision that no matter what choice I make, it's just going to be the wrong choice, but I'll end up where I'm supposed to be. And you'll end up where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not a bad place to be in. That's very, that's very consonant with the idea of the way of the river, right? That mm -hmm. you're, you can sort of steer a little bit, but you're still flowing downstream. Right. Most of the time. 
So yeah, so I offer this class. It's an eight-week class, and it involves fun stuff like some Jesuit teachings and some learning how to use tarot cards, even if you've never learned how to use tarot cards in your life at all, and you're never going to. I've been reading tarot since I was like 12. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've been reading them since I was about 18. So... Yeah, they're great. They're useful. Yeah, and there's a lot of... That's like one of those places, too, where I, I've sort of learned about... Because of the symbolism in the tarot cards is pulled from so many different religions and philosophies mm. and melded into one thing. Well, and depending on the tarot deck that you're using, I mean, nowadays there's like this enormous breadth yeah. of tarot. There's all kinds of queer tarot decks. There's tarot decks that are specifically focused on Wicca. There is, unfortunately, for appropriation, a tarot deck that calls itself the Native American deck mm-hmm. um, that I was given when I was 18 and didn't know better. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but even the traditional decks, the early decks that were um, used in games, right? The the Marseille yeah. tarot and um, were full of symbols, full of symbols. But they weren't used as a divinatory tool until much later. Um, the Golden Dawn again got a hold of them. Yeah. <laughs> so so in that respect. Um, what do you, you think? Do um, you believe we have free will or is it fate? Oh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it's fate exactly. I think <laughs> the weird answer. I'm not sure that we have free will. I am sure that we need to behave as though we do. If that makes sense. I think, I think it's very important to try to make decisions that are rooted in authenticity, integrity, mm-hmm. compassion, and wisdom, which are the four core ethics of Stone Circle Wicca USA. And we do our best. Mm-hmm. But if things were different, things would be different, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. if we had different circumstances, we'd make a different choice. Given the exact same circumstances, how would you make a different choice? You would have the same information, the same um, feelings, the same everything, right? How would you make a different choice? Exactly. That's why it just goes right along with my my philosophy. I always make the wrong decision, but I'll end up (laughs) up in the right place. (laughs) Because it's it's just meant to teach me something. Mm. Well, that's like the idea that um, some folks talk about that anyone you meet or any being that comes across your path can be received as a lesson. I'm really bad at that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really bad at that. Um, So, so we're going, do you guys have a URL or books or anything like that? Um, this, the current Stone Circle Wicca USA site is a wild apricot site. It's pretty new. Um, 
But if you search for tradition of Stone Circle Wicca, um, you'll get to the page. Um, and the Unitarian Universalist Association, which is a much bigger, more organized faith tradition, mm-hmm. is at uua.org, right? Unitarian Universalist Association. And I am at thewayoftheriver.com. It's important to remember the the at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> what happens but, is... Yeah, all my... There's a bunch of stuff about me, about uh-huh. my work, um, about the people who tend to come to me. You know, I have a lot of folks who are trans and non-binary folks who work with me. I have a fair number of religious professionals of various kinds who often who are struggling with the dogma in their own uh, tradition, even though their personal practice is different, and they're trying to decide what to do. Why do you think people feel a need to follow a certain tradition rather than just going with their internal instincts? Well, we're social animals for one thing. Um, But why do we turn to spirituality in particular in our, in our sociality? I think, I, I mean, I can only speak really for myself since I'm not a sociologist, but what does it say? There's a book about, Oh, I forget, but it talks about how life is beautiful and life is stupid. And I think for me, I do a good job of making meaning, making or having more understanding of my life when I'm with other people. And we tend to group together with folks who have at least some similar understanding to start with, right? And then we sort of build from there. And that's how you get different religions, is that they, they have something in common to begin with, and then there's an, um, an accretion, if you will, like a building on layers and layers mm-hmm. of information and practice and sometimes uh doctrine but doesn't it also seem maybe a little contrary to say more solitary practices like mm-hmm. in zen buddhism people will go live in a cave for 10 years or mm-hmm. you know in some traditions people will go on like a spirit quest on their own i think both are necessary um having been on silent retreats myself i mean i don't live in a cave, obviously, but um, I have found silent retreat time, meditative time, contemplative time, absolutely essential to my practice. Um, and not, that's actually not common among either Unitarian Universalists or Wiccans. Mm-hmm. Um, but and like Zen Buddhism, much of Zen Buddhism is practiced in community, right? You have teachers and yeah. the Sangha. Um, but sometimes 
and under various circumstances and at various sort of levels, we have a need for to go into that really deepest, wisest self and just perceive, do our best to sort of listen, if you will, psychologically, psychically to ourselves um, in a contemplative, solitary way. But even contemplatives are usually connected in some way to something larger. Like you said, a Zen Buddhist might go and live in a cave. Well, that person is still a Zen Buddhist, right? They're still connected in some way yeah. to that larger community. And they, they bring them food. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I've done quite a few silent retreats and, mm. and yeah, I found them to be very, very valuable, you know, mm. to not be talking and actually just um, observing my own thoughts without responding to them. And it has taught me a pretty just important lesson in life that my thoughts are not real, you know, and I don't have to act on them, mm. you know, and, when I was you younger, can help them melt. Yeah. You know. Yeah, when I was younger, you know, I, I just acted impulsively all the time and thought I knew everything. Sure. Now, the older I get, the less I, I know. <laughs> well, I think that happens to a lot of us as we grow. And it's particularly as in midlife, we think, oh, my goodness, like, have I, what have I missed, for one thing? And I'm now at as a sort of prime of my of my whatever career, spirituality, understanding, all these things. And what I know is that I don't know very much. You know. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We come to know that we don't know, um, which is a beautiful place to be really. Um, in my view, it's very, it's a very liberating place to be mm-hmm. because then you're not attached to a given dogma um or or doctrine dogma just means doctrine a given teaching you're not you're not attached to that and you have a sense of liberation a sense of freedom to learn from various places and appreciate those places without appropriating them to yourself yeah, and also the older I get, that means the less time I have to be alive. So even if I mess things up, I only have to live it up maybe another 20 or 30 years rather than <laughs> 80 years. That's an interesting so, outlook. Simple, simple math. It is simple math. It's a different uh, emotional outcome than I usually hear from people talking about that math, but it's true. Simple math. Um, I had caught part of your interview with Mind Dog, 
In the part oh, yeah. that I caught, you were talking, he had asked you about evil. Yeah. You know, and, and, and where do you, what do you think evil is and where does it come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's how I'll answer you, which is a different answer than I gave him. Um, you know the concept of original sin? Yeah. In, in some Christian traditions? I think that as human beings evolved, we have hurt one another over and over. And the origins of that injury are the closest thing to original sin mm-hmm. that I believe in. Um, I obviously don't think it's because my parents had sex, uh, given, you know, um, or that that uh, Adam and Eve were banished out of paradise. Um, I, I think that evil is largely in action. That evil is, that there are evil acts. Now, I really struggle, and I'll be honest with you about this, I really struggle with people who are sociopaths. Like, if somebody lacks empathy, if you lack the ability to understand that your actions have an effect on other people, right. you're going to commit evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that sense, there's a word for this that seminarians and theologians use all the time, theodicy which is like the question of evil. Um, And it's interesting that Unitarian Universalism does not have a very well-developed theology of evil. Um, I certainly don't believe in a personification of evil um, or a ruler of a place of... um, where evil people live after they die. Um, so you don't think there's like a Satan or Lucifer yeah, no. running around with a pitchfork? Not so much. Um, now, sometimes talking with my Sufi friends who are, you know, Sufi, Sufism is a, mm-hmm. a mystical form of Islam, as I'm sure right. you know, but just for the benefit of some listeners. Um and they will talk about there being a reckoning for people who have wantonly, cruelly been given every opportunity to change their behavior. I don't know that I believe that. Part of me wants to. Is that like, like an end of times, book of revelations type of thing? Uh, well, it wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be for Muslims, but, um, I mean, the book of Revelation was written about, uh, a a Jewish Christian sect struggling under the Roman Empire. I mean, the book of Revelation is a trippy book. (laughs) Um, Earl Spanson loved it. um, Did he? (laughs) That's funny. Um, I mean, in a kind of 
grew up way, but um, yeah, I mean, you can't, I can't, especially, and you know, I can say this, especially in our current political climate where I see wanton cruelty, like things being done in order to be cruel. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can't not believe in evil. And I think there was a time in my life when I was naive enough that I would have said, well, everybody, you know, there's always a chance for everybody. Um, and I don't know whether I believe that anymore. Yeah, I, I, I saw like that on, with your interview with Mindall. He had asked you, and, and I was surprised by your answer too. Um, oh, about optimism. But- well, about yeah, yeah. Like, like, do you think there's hope for humanity? Well, he didn't ask me, or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about the country at yeah, the time. Yeah. And I said no, and I said no really quickly, and he was very taken aback by that. Um, if you look at the history of this what is now the united states and what has happened since white people arrived it is a history of domination and systemic intentional exploitation and oppression of other people and i think the only way that that is going to stop would be for the entire system to be overhauled. And I don't know who's going to do that or who can do that or who would have the power to do that. Cause I don't, I don't see that happening. See, I think I have a whole theory on this one myself. Oh, tell me. Yeah. Um, we have to get rid of, well, one of the things that's happened in this country particularly is a certain a group of people have found a way to stay in, power mm-hmm. and they do that through these fraternal organizations that you mostly find in colleges yes um, so i think the i entire... was almost in one <laughs> I, ha- I have a story about that too and i think the entire educational system needs mm-hmm. to be completely destroyed interesting we have to get rid of all all this idea of going up different grades for one uh-huh. you know the grading system is just like well, I'm in a higher grade than you, so you're lower than me. So right. it, I think it kind of starts there. Mm. And then into college, you know, it becomes even more concentrated and specific. I belong and to this fraternity. And in graduate school, it becomes even more. Yeah, and it just keeps going on and on all the way up until these people are into government and big mm-hmm. companies basically ruling the world, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, I think late-stage capitalism has relationships with education and the educational system. But, of course, there are exceptions that prove the rule, right? I mean, you have people who don't have uh, higher education degrees who have a lot of power. Um, But you're right, you're right. I mean, if you look at, like, um, the Bush family, for example... They um, were uh, Skull and Bones mm-hmm. members, right? I think it was Skull and Bones. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And it's true that those quote unquote secret societies um, and even the Greek system, right? Even fraternities and sororities like are, they look out for each other and lift each other up in a way that ignores and oppresses other people. Yeah. They, they, they favor their members other than, than other people. Mm-hmm. You know, so even in the corporate world, if you find out that a, a person who's going to be promoted belongs to that same fraternity that you did, you're going to promote them before you promote somebody else that even may be more qualified for that position. Probably. I mean, I, I can't say for sure, of course. I don't know, by, you know, of an instance of that, but I can imagine that's true. Yeah, that's, where, that's, that's my theory anyway. On, yeah, it's interesting. How. It's interesting. And I think, you know, it goes along with my sense that if things were going to change radically and we were going to have a just, sustainable, verdant experience, all of us together, everything would have to start over, right? And frankly, higher education is falling apart anyway. Hopefully. So there's so there's going to be a lot of opportunity for that to be really reworked, uh, <laughs> something yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe all this is a good thing in the end. Yeah, maybe. I mean, living in Portland, we're seeing right now it's uh it's late july right now and we're seeing all this you know federal agents who've come mm-hmm. in to ostensibly to control riots but they have no training in de-escalation or um riot quote-unquote control um and <laughs> I mean, they've said that now the administration has said that they'll leave if police promise to protect federal property. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So, not true. It's bad news. Um, here, here's good when I bring up the rioting, and I, and I get a lot of heat on this. No, um, okay. Because, because at, at the heart, like politically, like I don't vote. Mm. You know, and, and and I feel the same way about government as I do with education. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're better off without it. Mm. And, and a true anarchist, anyway, mm-hmm. um, is not going to have a political affiliation. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that bothers me is they call these people anarchists, and they're not anarchists. They're like they're it's the complete well, opposite. Well, they're using of the anarchist. term to mean mayhem. Yes, but right? I still. Which is it, not it a good thing. Well, but even even then, though, like like the mayhem idea, um, are you for it or are you against it? Are you are mayhem? You, yeah. <laughs> um. You know, riots. People forget this, but the like saint of United States nonviolence, right? The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King mm-hmm. said that riots were the voice of the oppressed. And um, they are property is less important than people's lives. 
Yes. Right? Property is less important in people's lives. The freaking courthouse can have its graffiti scrubbed off. Mm-hmm. But George Floyd will always be dead. And that is where this started. And it has been escalated by the presence of these federal agents and gotten off mission, maybe, a little bit. But by and large, this thing about protecting property makes me crazy. Because I'm like, no. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That property is, it's just stuff. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and you know, there, and it, I mean, it, I'm being, I'm being a little more. Um, but even in, in an anarchist view, there is a sort of a certain thing to civil disobedience, which yeah. you know is like it's okay to break a window or spray paint something, but it's not okay to take a life. Yeah. Well, and in, in my understanding, I have a good friend who's also a minister. This person would interest you. They're uh, an anarchist minister. He has to come on my show. You're going to have to get me in touch with this person. <laughs> they're awesome. Um, and they're non-binary uh, person. And um, they talk about how in true anarchy, you have the assumption and the willingness for people to take care of each other. That it's not like libertarianism where, you know, you can do whatever you want and too bad if you're poor, mm-hmm. right? That in, in true anarchism, there is this idea of mutual care. Yes. That it's not government. It doesn't have to do with government. That's right. my understanding. Right. I'm not an anarchist, but that's my understanding. Well, it, it's ingrained in us naturally. It's like what you started off the show talking about, which is compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in an anarchy, with an anarchist situation, rather than having oppression and rules, have a society built out of com- compassion and love for it and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that would be lovely. <laughs> Wouldn't it? It would be lovely. Um. In fact, I, I'll say one, one thing on that. I know we don't have a lot of time, but... Oh, we got tons of time. One of my... I got all day. One of my teachers, I said to him, I think it would be wonderful if the people who governed the country saw their mission as taking care of the common good. And he leaned back in his chair, and then he came back up, and he said... That's way too radical to ever happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think the only way it could happen is actually without the actual country part. <laughs> no flags. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> like the Imagine song. Yeah. Um, trying to think of some more questions to ask you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of... Um, I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff. No, not really. <laughs> um, so, so in Wicca, yeah, um, 
do you ever do any type of spirit communication? Well, we have this um, practice of honoring our ancestors that's very important. Mm-hmm. And especially on Samhain, which is October 31st, that realm of the the date. Some people do it, some people calculate the date differently, but for purposes of ease, we'll say it's October 31st. So it falls on the same day as secular Halloween, which is convenient because people are running around acting like spirits and dead people. Right. Um, <laughs> But we it's a high holy day for us. Very special holiday. And we sometimes will have um, a spirit supper where you eat together and you bring uh, dishes that were important to your ancestors or your your immediate ancestors or the ancestors that you guess you might have, because some of us, uh-huh. you know, don't really know who our ancestors were. Um, and you eat in silence, but leave a place for, for the for dead them. to come. And um, so that's one, one form of thing that we do. I also have a free event every year for Samhain, where we do uh, toasting the dead. And sometimes we even roast them a little bit, depending <laughs> on how we, depending upon what our relationship with them was like. Um, but it was a huge success when I did it two years ago. And I didn't do it last year because I was tired mm-hmm. from, from other stuff. And people were like, wait, what? I thought you were going to do that thing. And I was like, oh, sorry. So I'm going to do it this year. Um, I have now said it on the podcast, therefore I must do it. You have um, to. <laughs> I have to. And we also, one of our um, initiates is also a Santera. And she, of course, practices spirit communication for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but we don't, I mean, we don't uh, have any training or focus on like mediumship. Or anything like that. We just have a veneration and um, practice of welcoming our ancestors. Particularly, I mean all the time, but particularly during that season of Samhain. How about, um, actually I remember the question I was going to ask you before. And then I I went blank. Have have you partaked in any of the riots? (laughs) <laughs> oh, question. such a good question. Or, or protests. Have you gone out there? And, you know. The only reason I haven't is that I am I have mobility problems mm-hmm. and would not be able to run should I need to run. Um, but I have contributed to um, local bail funds. Uh-huh. And to um, other organizations that are medics on the ground um, and have done my part to encourage other people. Because one of the things that's happened, right, is that you have these big 
um, protests and the daytime protests, very peaceful, super peaceful. People bring their kids, like, it's great. And then the nighttime protests are getting incited by the conflict. And now the conflict is becoming the reason Mm -hmm. for stuff to continue, which is really unfortunate in my view. But um, what was I going to say? I mean, I haven't been there. And if, if, but if it were 20 years ago, I would have a freaking bullhorn Um, because that's the kind of girl I was. (laughs) Um, You know, I was very, very much of a body on the line activist. And now I can't be a body on the line activist. And it really is hard, like, emotionally that I, that I can't be there because I wouldn't be there. Yeah. I I would be there at night. (laughs) I would take part with the night part. Yeah, I mean, so would I. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you know, like, the, like far I think as it's the important. daytime, far as the daytime stuff, I don't know because I know some of that is supported by various political organizations that I'm not familiar with. Mm. And since I don't support any political organization, right? That's not something you would do. Part, but, yeah, but, I mean, but, but, but the mayhem, life, absolutely. You're down with the mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> um. A lot of the ones that have happened during the day, and there are fewer of them now than there were, but a lot of the peaceful protests that have happened during the day were just organized by neighborhoods. You know, I mean, outside of Washington, D.C., for example, I have a friend who organized two protests after the killing of George Floyd. Um, One that was in one northeastern suburb of Washington, D.C., and one that was in another one. Mm -hmm. And people in these smaller towns, like my hometown, which is like 100,000 people, had its own protests and its own vigils. And towns all over the country were protesting police brutality and... I mean, the idea that defunding the police is even, like, being talked about is pretty radical and amazing. Yeah. So. That's pretty cool. I just, I really respect the people who have said, okay, I don't live anywhere near any of these big cities I live in this, or I live in the suburb, I live in this smaller town, but I want to participate and I want to be part of this larger movement that is anti-racist and declaring that black lives have to matter. Yeah. Um, have you ever taken part in any like gay pride events, like parades oh, and tons, stuff like that? Tons, millions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've organized um, several, and I was at the March on Washington in 1993, mm-hmm. and um, you know, went to Pride uh, in D.C. several times, and also participated in the first um, lesbian, gay, and bisexual. We didn't then have a T in our name, but the lesbian, gay, and bisexual student alliances. Um, 
first pride parade at Penn State University in like 1994 or something. And we sort of marched around the town. There were like a hundred of us, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, um, you know, it was fine. It was fun. I've been to the ones in New York, which were huge. Yeah, Yeah, they're a big deal. They were fun. Um, but you may think of something eventually like before the tea was put in, mm. you know, and I remember before the tea was put in and I had some friends that were transcended and they felt shunned by the gay community. Yeah. Like, like the gay community was like, no, we're better than that, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and that actually existed. I think a lot of people don't know about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's still, I mean, look at J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. Um, she has publicly supported um, trans-exclusionary politics. And she has publicly supported people who have been harmful in their language to trans people, especially trans misogynist people who mm-hmm. are claiming that trans women have some kind of nefarious uh, agenda and that they're taking away from the experience of real women and real girls. Right. And, you know, I want to be really careful what I say about that because... Well, it, um, it can be a sensitive subject. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, it is. Like, I have a, um, a nephew. Well, I guess he wants to be a niece now. Which is um, a niece, yeah. Yeah, but, but he uses it as a way, basically, to stay out of jail. You know, uh, he gets arrested for shoplifting and writing bad checks all the time. And, and yeah. they don't know what jail to put him in. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I can't speak to that. I've never had that experience. Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, I mean, I have lots of transgender friends and clients um, and and non-binary folks. I should specify that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And three of my ex-girlfriends are guys now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so... I have a magic power, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any danger of that happening in my marriage, though. We've been together for a long, long, long time. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I, I definitely, I just believe that people should love each other no matter what and accept each other. Yep. You know, we're I all mean, human beings. Again, again, like there's that, that quotation that I will get totally wrong from James Baldwin, which is that, the the content of it is that you're you can have whatever opinion you want, but it stops where it dehumanizes me or another person. Like your right to that opinion ends where it becomes an assault on my person or an oppression of my person. Um, and I really I really believe that. Yeah. Well, I think a, a lot of the judgment and harshness, unfortunately, like, comes from religion, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, I'm from New Jersey originally, 
Mm-hmm. And I moved here to Alabama about two years ago. And oh, so recently. Of, yeah. And one of the things that I, shot, I had, I had a job for a while where I, my job was to, to drive these guys to church on, on Sunday. Like that's mm-hmm. all I did is I sat in these churches all day on Sunday. And I was amazed though at like, they never really talked about Jesus. All they talked about was politics and, mm. and, and, and this anti-homosexual stuff. And I'm like, this is just terrible. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was just huh. baffled by it. Like, I didn't know it existed because, you know, even when I was a kid growing up, I was raised Catholic. And even in the Catholic tradition. Man, that's you know, Jesus. Yeah. They talked about <laughs> Jesus and read scripture and it was normal, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm pretty, I was just talking about this with my wife. I think I'm pretty naive as to the level of disgust and hatred even that some folks have for what Rhodes Perry calls the rainbow family, right? The LGBTQ mm-hmm. Uh, communities I it's so much a part of my life and my worldview that I just kind of take it for granted and I forget sometimes and then something terrible will come out of some politician's mouth and I'm like what yeah are you for real you can't be for real um, so I'm, I'm saddened to hear about that, that church. It's part of the country, really. It's, you know, coming, like when I lived in New Jersey, especially when I was single, almost all my friends were lesbians. Mm. I needed people to hang out with. I didn't have families, you know? And so, so, you know, they were my, you know, that's, you know, they, they, they kind of adopted me. Uh huh. Basically, it's funny. I often say that I was raised by gay men, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so to me, it was like it was just like a no-brainer. It was something I just never thought about, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I come down here, and like all of a sudden, there's like this. It's an issue, and I'm like, it just doesn't even make sense. Right. 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 Yeah. It's it's, it's terrible, but mm-hmm. but it, it's and it's wrapped in religion. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like. I feel like hatred gets wrapped up in religion. Most of the religions I know, and I don't want to be like, well, they're not real Christians. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be that way because what, who am I to say who's a real Christian or not? But I do think that we take whatever we most value and we wrap our religions around it. You know, like, I think that's true of Wicca and Unitarian Universalism. In Unitarian Universalism, we have seven ethical principles that we agree to abide by in our living together. And we have the concept of covenant. And those are our core values. And we wrap a religion around them. And in Stone Circle Wicca USA, we have... um, ceremonial practices and beliefs that are the expression 
of underlying understandings of the cosmos, each other, and the earth. So that's sort of my... I just thought of that right now, by the way. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I think I might think about that a little more. Well, thank you for being on my show. Yeah, it's been a blast. And um, again, where where can my listeners find you? Uh, Thewayoftheriver.com or for super fun, if you use Facebook, we won't talk about the owner right now, but if you use Facebook, um, by all means, go to the Way of the River community group. Um, We have a really nice time. And um, it's an active group, but not too active. I promise. <laughs> you won't get like a bazillion uh, notifications, but um, but we do have a very loving and caring community there. Awesome. Yeah, thank the, you so much. And by the way, how do you know Jill O'Donnell? Uh, Jill O'Donnell. Yeah, you're friends with my, my friend on Facebook. Oh, Joe O'Donnell. Yeah. I thought you said Jill O'Donnell. Well, he is um, studying to be a Unitarian Universalist minister. Yes, he is. That's how. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm really, really good friends with his uncle, Ted. Oh, I used to jam with him all the time. He's <laughs> like one of funny. my best friends. That's funny. Yeah, Joe's a funny guy. He's really funny. Yeah. And he just moved and... Yeah, he moved to Pennsylvania. He already moved back to Jersey. I forget which. I think he's in Philly. Probably Philly, yeah. Yeah, which, you know. It's next door to Jersey. Six of one half another the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on thank your show. You. I've had a great time, and I hope that I've been helpful to some of your listeners and that yes. they'll come to the way of the river. Yep. And, and also, this podcast is going to be broadcast on um, – KGRA radio now too. Fun. And it's going to be on at uh, midnight Eastern. So I get these time zones right. Midnight Eastern. Which is nine o'clock Pacific. Via um, 11 o'clock Central, nine o'clock Pacific. (laughs) Yes. And 10 o'clock Mountain. Yes. (laughs) And also, people can buy my book, (laughs) Enlightenment Guaranteed. The only book on Zen you'll ever need. Nice. It's me on the back, but I've been defrocked, so the <laughs> reverend part of it, you know. And, Enlightenment um, guaranteed, huh? Yep. The only book on Zen you'll ever need. Interesting. It'll change um, your life. So when does do these shows air? How frequently well, do well, they Well, I, I was recently kind of held back because my uh, podcast host was only giving me 12 hours a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like $25 a month. So I switched over just last night to a new one that's giving oh. me unlimited hosting. Oh. So probably in about, it could be a couple days to a week. It really all depends oh, on when I get awesome. to get around to editing. I have a, another guy after you who was supposed to be before you. He's going to write a book about quantum Bigfoot. So. All right. Well, have that, a good time. Got to love Bigfoot. <laughs> Well, have a good time and um, feel free to contact me at any time. I will look forward to um, getting more information about when we're going to be available to the world. Oh, yeah. You'll get like a ton of emails from me with a thousand links. and 
a and ton of that. emails with a thousand and, links. Um, perfect. And I think I have your profile. I don't know if you sent me links to your website, but if you mm-hmm. want to send me the links to your website and your Facebook page, I can include those in the notes of oh, this perfect. podcast on my website. Perfect. Um, I know we're still recording, but you'll probably um, uh, remind me if we found each other on Matchmaker or Podit. Uh, <clears throat> I found you on neither. Oh, okay. Because I, I have to figure Facebook. out your email, your email address. Facebook. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, well, you know, there it is. Facebook. But the email address is everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. Oh, perfect. Great. And I can find you on Facebook as well. Yep. Fantastic. Well, tell Joe I said hi if you talk to him before I do. Well, thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. Which I would be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. And Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. You know, yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.